to As It Goes. You know, we're all just figuring it out as it goes. Conversations help us along the way. If you're new here, my name is Lydia. Welcome to season two of As It Goes, the conversations portion of Reself. I am the founder of Reself. Reself is a synergetic platform empowering conscious living. You can access our first workshop, the Mindset Workshop. Links are always in the description if you're new here again. I'm always linking things as I talk, so don't worry about it. We just released our January Recalibrate digital workbook, which is a monthly workbook set to a theme that helps you move into a new month focused, centered, and empowered. This month's theme was on beginnings, specifically the new year. This was a special edition, longer guide to setting New Year's goals and systems just for you that are sustainable, actionable, and empowering. Check those both out. Yes, I'm incredibly excited to get started with season two. Last year, we did new episodes every Monday, almost every Monday. In this season, we're going to aim for every Monday and we're going to see how it plays out. I want to, you know, facilitate great conversations. So I want to make sure that if that means once every few weeks, that's how it'll be. It's kind of going to be a little more spontaneous. So stick around, make sure you subscribe, turn on notifications, sign up for our wait list. You'll get an email whenever a new episode comes out. Something new we have this season is a way to gain support from our community through donations. So if you love this podcast, if you love these conversations, consider making a small donation to help sustain future episodes. The conversations portion of Reself is free. It's intentional. It's meant to be accessible and enjoyable. I want to maintain the integrity of this podcast. We don't have ads. We won't have ads. So by listeners supporting the podcast, we can maintain that integrity and host more episodes. We can get up to maybe two episodes a week. Who knows? The world's our oyster. If you haven't listened to anything in season one, definitely go check it out. We've been toying with releasing clips of each episode. So it's a shorter form of the episodes. You can check those out on YouTube. The link is in the description. Shoot us an email, info at reself.me. If you like that, if you prefer the long form, let us know what's working for you. Let's uh, let's dive right into this. So I have been waiting for the right inspiration to strike to kick off season two. And boy, did it. When you know, you know, right? If you've ever had that feeling, which I'm sure everyone has, when inspiration strikes, it's unignorable. It's almost like a whole body experience that's just bringing you into this new stage, new step, new action, new existence almost in that moment. And as you can tell sort of by this title, That inspiration that struck was the movie Don't Look Up. It's available on Netflix. You can listen to this before you watch the movie. You can listen to this after you watch the movie. You can listen to this without watching the movie, even though I highly recommend you watch the movie if you can watch the movie. There's a lot to say about it. You might have read about it, but I... First, obviously, was really struck by that movie. We've done some of these episodes in in this series. We have going here about something in our human experience, right? We've done dance. We've done music. So we have a few things coming up this season. So stay tuned. 
Film is huge for me, and I know for a lot of people, film plays a huge role in our experiences. This movie in particular, I think, was an incredibly important contribution to the collective consciousness. What the movie is conveying on a collective note is incredibly important. Film, like many mediums of art, can be direct action inspiring or it could be indirect action inspiring. I.e., we look at art, we look at, in this case, a film, and we're moved by it. And something within us changes, whether we're aware of it or unconscious of it. It could be working on both levels. And I think that this was a really important movie to highlight in so many contexts, so many levels. So let's, let's get right into it. One thing to start off that is fundamental to reself is the idea that as life continues to get increasingly complex, simplicity is complexity resolved. The key is simplicity. Complexity is the natural evolution of the universe of of everything. Things divide and grow and branch off more and more. It's like a tree, right? We start with the core center of the trunk. And as you go up into the tree, things become more complex. There's more branches, there's more breakoffs, there's more turns and twists. So that's kind of what the world is. You know, at one point, we had no technology. And then we had lights, we had agriculture, we have, now we have skyscrapers and computers in our pockets through these smartphones. We were hunter-gatherer peoples. We lived in tribes and small communities. And now we live in cities and apartment buildings and far away from our families or close to our families. Our world has become so increasingly connected, not that it wasn't always interconnected, but we're so interconnected through globalization. We have a global community, global connectivity now. And that's just complexity, more and more and more complex. So I think that when we look to that simplicity, it's finding that innate humanness, the innate naturalness in our lives. And I don't think that it's nostalgia for the past. I think there's something really innate in our DNA that when we go into nature, we feel calm. It's a connection. Something I was thinking about last night was, you know, maybe we've always been a confused species, wandering around, wondering what it all means, why it's all happening, why we're here, what is life, right? But I think that when we look around at nature, when we're in nature, and it's not just nature in the Darwinian harsh sense of survival of the fittest, but we look at nature, at these systems, at the cosmos, at the universe, and we understand a little bit of of some notion that it's all balanced. There is, there is balance and harmony and beauty in nature, in these systems, big and small. And we understand it, whether we're cognizing it or not. We don't need to be scientists, botanists, astrophysicists. We just have to connect with our humanity and what makes us human. So let's look to simplicity. Let's find in our own lives what we can do to simplify, to align with what matters most to us. So without spoiling the movie, let me just provide a little context for anyone who hasn't seen it yet or just, you know, a refresher. 
The two main characters are scientists who discover a huge asteroid that are, that's headed to Earth and is going to cause a global extinction if no action is taken. Adam McKay's Don't Look Up satirizes the political systems that be in the United States, the media, social media, and the internet, and our relationship with it, divisiveness in the world today, technology, and billionaires, and the power that billionaires have in, in our world today. It's a comedy that McKay explains was inspired by the mishandling of the climate crisis and how almost ridiculously funny it is that we can agree that this is such a global top pressing issue requiring immediate action just like the comet hurtling towards earth in the movie. When talking about it He said that he couldn't believe the lack of media coverage and concern over the pressing issue of our climate crisis. In addition to the politicalization of it, of this human issue, truly, and the denial of the science. Now, and also obviously decades upon decades of denial. What I found interesting This came out end of 2021. I had figured he probably wrote it during the pandemic, at least, and he hadn't. He wrote this before the pandemic. So to see how some of the comments, the political comments, social comments in the movie and the issues that play out in the movie played out during the pandemic, just to me emphasizes obviously the huge problems and the ridiculousness of <laughs> where we are today, but it's just, it emphasizes how much this movie is really on the dot in so many ways. After hearing Adam and some of the actors discuss the movie, it's clear to me that what strikes me and what struck me as I was watching the movie and had so much unfolding inside of me on so many different levels is this fact that this huge urgency that is both the plot of the movie and the undertone of the social commentary and need for change is how it's done in such a way that draws us in, is inviting and accessible to anyone because of its format, its format being filmed. That is the role of film in our experience. So let me explain that a little bit just through a comparison. Because it's a film, again, it invites us in. It's, it opens viewers up to these issues through an entertaining, funny way. If it was a documentary, for example, the audience interested probably is a much smaller group of people because of the seriousness. Every issue that I mentioned from our broken political system in the U.S. to the power of media, what social media is doing to our lives, the internet, the divisiveness in the world, technology, the power of billionaires, those are all really heavy overwhelming issues any documentary on that is for me at least I I, it's like I watch it obviously I I have to watch it on the environment right on our food systems any anything that is of social importance and thus individual importance it's heavy on the heart to watch it's important it's important to learn So this movie still has a serious message, to me, a very serious message that while I could laugh along to the issues, it's still obvious that these are issues, right? But the delivery invites such a wide audience, and that's exactly what these issues need. Just as much as the powerful documentaries that educate us, that bring to light things we don't even know about, things that are trying to be hidden from us. And that's why I say that this is such an important film for the collective consciousness. 
And Jonah Hill in in this conversation, one of the actors in the movie points out that these topics are made funny and digestible for anyone watching, whether you have any knowledge about them or not that he touches on. And it's just, it's really inviting. It's a really great entry point. It's, it's a massive shift in thinking. Again, whether we're conscious of it or not, whether we actively cause that shift within ourselves or feed that, or we just watch the movie and walk away. It's left an imprint in us regardless. Meryl Streep, again, one of the actors in the movie in this conversation, talks about that same thing. How even for her making this movie was a really big wake-up call. That's the power of film, of any, any sort of medium like this, is waking up. <laughs> we talk about it all the time at Reself. It's, it's creating change that helps us live more consciously. And it starts at the individual level, right? This movie is a thought-provoking parable of what could happen if things keep going in the direction they're currently going in. This idea that, again, in, in the context of the climate crisis, we have this huge climate crisis on our hands and no one cares about it. Or rather, no one's acting with enough immediacy. Leonardo DiCaprio, in, in this conversation, talks about how he's spoken to so many climate scientists and just heard their frustrations that... that no one's listening to them, and that's what the, the movie shows, is these two scientists coming up against wall to wall, whether it's the media or whether it's the political system. They're faced with so many walls of people just not caring, not taking the necessary action. And even the ways in which we as individuals get sucked into, whether it's those systems or other systems and things in our lives that distract us from what is truly important, right? So again, one of the most important takeaways, though, in the context of the individual level, right, bringing it back to that level, is humanity, as in being human and focusing on what's human, on focusing on that simplicity, what makes us human, what touches our souls. Similar to our episode on embracing death to live, which I will link below, through this catastrophic event, the characters are forced to figure out what is most important in their lives. Family, loved ones, nature, or self-preservation, greed, fame, wealth, and profit. As the movie does a really cool way of juxtaposing these things, it's very, it's very well done and obvious. The choice when you watch it, and I'm sure you'd agree. The unfortunate thing is much like the characters in the movie, I think this movie shows that often we need life events that shake us to understand the preciousness of life so that we realign with or rediscover or even define our values and these things that are most important to us and align our time usage accordingly. Because at the end of the day, that's... that's all we've got and all we don't get back. So here's just a little spoiler alert. Skip ahead to about the 20 minute mark if you don't want to hear this quote from the movie. In the last scene, as they are all sitting down together for their last dinner, as they've decided this is how they're going to spend it as the asteroid is hitting Earth, not talking about it, just enjoying each other's company, unsure of the outcome. The scientist that Leonardo DiCaprio plays reflects to everyone, we really had everything, didn't we? And to me, I mean, obviously that scene is so powerful, but that line, we really had everything, didn't we? Is so, I think that's, I was crying by this point, but that I think really set off the waterworks and touched me in that way because it's just so true and simple and profound. And that's kind of what, what I mean by this idea of simplicity and our humanity and what's important to us. Because when we step back, when in that final moment, we can see with clarity. And that's the whole idea of having this bird's eye view and this larger perspective that reself 
delivers to us and that these conversations constantly can remind us of, of us of and help us align to is that perspective of finding all the little miracles in our lives, seeing that everything is here. We create sufficient conditions to embody this awareness throughout our days by aligning our thoughts with this mentality and looking for the good, the positives, the miracles, because they're all around us. We have the seeds of this mindset and awareness within us. We just have to nurture them by creating favorable conditions through our thoughts, how we're thinking, words that we're, you know, how we're speaking, and our actions for those seeds to grow. Then we live our lives in a way that says we really have everything and we're aware of it. Our thoughts, words, and actions reflect that and we smile. We feel peace, harmony, joy, and happiness because we are harvesting the abundance in the present, so to speak, because of that mentality. It doesn't require anything around us to change. The change simply comes from within and translates and permeates into everything around us. It doesn't take much to have everything, regardless of what we're told to aspire to through media and advertising. It doesn't take much. It's the simple things in life, right? And our modern especially Western world, has disconnected us from some of the most important simple things and connections for our holistic well-being. So I wanted to take this to, again, the individual level. I want to look at those lessons from Don't Look Up and how we can apply them for more well-being, more presence, conscious living, tuning in to those simple things, those important things. So let's get into it. Just because someone doesn't take seriously what matters to you does not mean it doesn't matter. Stand up for what you believe in. And don't stop caring about something just because someone else doesn't value it. Don't be brainwashed into believing it doesn't matter just because those people don't care about it. Know that they're wrong, trust yourself, and move on. Keep moving forward. Life is way too precious, and that's why it's so important to keep this perspective, this larger perspective in your heart every day. Because as Virgil Abloh has said, you can't waste even a day subscribing to what someone thinks you can do versus knowing what you can do. If you really care about the environment and no one around you cares, don't stop. If you really care about playing the cello and you feel this pressure to give up your passion and spend your time some other way, maybe more realistically, pragmatically, whatever that is. If you care about conscious living and it seems like everyone else around you doesn't, it doesn't mean that it's not important. It doesn't mean that you should stop living consciously and living your life the way that is best for you, is most authentic and true to you, makes you well and whole. There's a great quote by Krishnamurti, it is no measure of health to be well-adjusted to a profoundly sick society. Live your passions, live your values, live those simple things that matter to you. Just because society pushes obsessing over our appearance or wealth or luxury and material items and social media and technology, you know, all these things that there's no problem with them. Nothing is either good or bad. Everything is neutral. It's how we interact with them and engage with them. And the important thing is balance and authenticity. And for the most part, when we just go with the herd, when we go with what we're told and shown and programmed 
and advertise to do, be, and have, that's most likely why and where we're off balance and inauthentic to ourselves and where we feel wobbly. So just because someone might be the embodiment of quote-unquote success because they're doing, having, and being everything that society values. It's no measure of health to be well-adjusted to a profoundly sick society. We are programmed into this society, into these values again, like I said, and it can make us really unhappy. It can easily be the root of our unhappiness because we're doing what the outside is telling us to do rather than, again, what is authentic and true for us as an individual, which may or may not be completely aligned or aligned in some ways to what the outside values. But the fact is we take the time to sit with ourselves, to know ourselves, to explore, to question, to come to our own authenticity. Because we are programmed and sort of normalized to society, to these sicknesses, to the systems that don't work, to the brokenness, uh, to where we could do better, we see the absurd as normal. We see school shootings as normal. We see violence as normal. We see social injustice as normal. We see the proliferation of technology as normal. The wealth gap is normal. And the problem is then these absurdities that don't have to be seen as normal, we accept them. We don't aim to do better. And when we do aim to do better, when we do speak out about how absurd what is seen as normal in a sick society is, people are so used to the norm that they're like, what? No, you're wrong. You are wrong for pointing out what is wrong here. I don't believe you. So then you have to spend time deliberating about that and getting everyone to consensus that okay yes this is wrong this is ill of a society this needs to change and unfortunately at the individual level it works the same way we're fighting this internal conflict so to speak about coming to these realizations within ourselves that's what it means by you know the programming and being well adapted so to speak to the sick society is that it affects us. And at the individual level, we have to weed out those effects. For example, Meta, if you've heard anything about Facebook's new thing as Meta and the Metaverse, I don't, I don't need to get into it. It's incredibly frustrating for me, uh, as I'm sure a lot of people can relate to. But it's, it's absurd and likely will do more harm than good. And that's me being as toned down about it as I can be. There are absurd things in our, our world that we see as normal. And just because they're seen as quote-unquote normal, again, doesn't mean it's healthy to be well-adjusted to the profoundly sick society. Just because everyone else is doing it doesn't mean it's good for you, for the collective. Conversely, just because the masses aren't doing it doesn't mean it's not your way or a good way. Again, living consciously, the masses aren't doing it yet, but it doesn't mean it's not good for you. Being on social media, just because the mass. You know, the majority of people, when I say masses, that's what I mean, the majority of people. Just because the majority of people are on social media doesn't mean it's good for us. And we have scientific evidence that says that same fact. And, you know, be true to yourself. Albert Camus has a great quote. The only way to deal with an unfree world is to become so absolutely free that your very existence is an act of rebellion. Believe in what matters to you. Do what is authentic to you. 
not just because everyone else is doing it. And be true to yourself. Be free in your own being. That comes from authenticity. Next lesson. Technology can't replace what makes us human. Technological progress doesn't equal human progress. That is something I've been preaching since I was in middle school. And again, you know, while technology is great, there's many benefits to technology. We'll use the example of our phone, right? Our phone, the the idea of a smartphone, it should just be a tool. It shouldn't be something that comes between our relationships because we're so consumed with our phones that we're on our phones when we're with people we love rather than just simply sitting in their presence, right? We shouldn't be slaves to our technology the way that they've been designed to be addictive. Social media has designed to be addictive. We, it's, that's not it, right? <laughs> we have more, more progress to make to make technology a tool. Think about technology in the context of history, right? Technology doesn't just mean these phones and computers and la la la, electronic machines. Technology is an axe, a wheel. That's, those are tools that help us do things easier, more efficiently, so on and so forth. But the way that we engage with this technology is not fully there yet because unfortunately as we saw with what happened with Facebook recently and a former Facebook employee Francis Haugen shared all these documents that were incredibly scathing about uh Facebook knowing that they fed divisiveness and and its algorithm is a part of that and continuing that and continuing this pursuit of profit and engagement. I recently got a book that I'm very much enjoying. It's a really easy read called Goodbye Phone, Hello World. Also linked in the description. But it has this one quote that stood out to me so much that really shows, again, it's, it's really illuminating on on the subject of of Facebook and social media. It's a quote from the first president of Facebook. How do we consume as much of your time and attention as possible? That is literally what the first president of Facebook is asking as, as a goal for their system. Ask yourself how that sits with you. How does it sit with you to think that these platforms that are telling you that they're serving you are really serving themselves. That doesn't sit well with me. That's why I don't participate with social media, which you can listen to our episode on that, also linked down below, about my life without social media. That is the epitome of this thing called the attention economy, how everyone is literally buying for your attention. And as we've said before, and we illuminate so much, and we have an episode on this, again, linked in the description, your time is your most precious asset. No, none of us can get our time back. So if people are literally buying for your time, then that is your your greatest asset. And that is what we hold on to and value most and should be, or at least should ask ourselves, how preciously are we treating it or how easily are we throwing it away? Because to treat our time most preciously is to align our time with our values and to act accordingly. Our actions and how we spend our time, how we spend our days should reflect those values. And if they don't, we have to ask, us, ask ourselves, at what cost does that come at? So what can we do instead? Analog. Look at some of the ways you engage with technology and ask yourself, are there any analog things I can do instead? If you read on your phone or uh, tablet or whatever, try reading books, physical books. 
You can buy them very cheap and good for our environment by buying used books. If you use your phone to keep your calendar, try using a physical planner. If you want to get into vinyl records, you can do that. When we get off our phones, when we free up that time that we're spending on technology, we have new time to spend in other ways to pick up analog hobbies. Non-technology dependent hobbies. Anything. In nature, in inside, whatever it is. Sports, art. To explore different mediums. To puzzle. To garden. To experiment with growing our own foods. There's so much out there to learn and try and find that sets our souls on fire and excites us or calms us. Communication skills. Talk to people when you're out in public. Compliment people. Say hi to people. Wish people a good day. Work on connecting with people again. Especially if you find that most of your connections are, again, over texts. Challenge yourself to call friends instead of texting them. If you're going to FaceTime someone for an hour, get together if, if you can. You know, figure out ways to communicate most effectively and, and learn about more effective methods of communication. I mean, one of the things that adapting to technology has done to us is that our communication skills have plummeted. And there's research to back that up. So learn a little. Have fun with it. There's a great book I love by Thich Nhat Hanh, one of my favorite Buddhist monks, called The Art of Communication, which I'll link down below. And it's, it's a really great, another easily digestible read on um, communicating in a loving, compassionate, present way, conscious way. What technology has done to our communication, it's made it really unconscious and unpresent. Can we sit with someone and look deeply into their eyes and truly be present for them? Because that's really being there for the people we love. Presence is our, our biggest gift we can give to each other. And looking into each other's eyes and exchanging and being and interbeing, that all is the beauty of, of our connection and our connectiveness. Again, uh, another thing in the idea of doing things not without technology is learn how to do things not being dependent on technology. So for example, something I could do is I have an app that when I point it at the sky, it tells me where certain constellations are. So maybe if I can learn just a little bit about some major constellations, I could be able to identify them. Learning how to go places without using the maps on your phone. Again, call, write someone a letter who you haven't spoken to in a while. I love writing people letters. Again, that analog way is really meaningful. It really, it really means something to receive a letter from someone. The thought that goes into it, the time that goes into it, versus a text. Anyone can send a text. But it, it means something. It shows care and effort, presence. Finally, sitting with uncomfortable feelings rather than reaching for distractions. One thing that our phones have made it so easy and technology in general is we can always be entertained. We can always be distracted. We can always be consuming things, which means we're not reflecting, we're not aware, and it can keep us busy and keep our minds off of what we actually need to give focus to, which is maybe some uncomfortable feelings we're having about certain things going on in our lives. Because when we sit with discomfort, 
we can be discerning about it, we can get to the root of our discomfort, and then we can take action empowered by that information. We go into this in the mindset workshop about sitting in discomfort and learning how to embrace discomfort and learn from it and take those learnings and create change that you choose. And that is the greatest resolve of all. Distracting ourselves is immediate gratification, but it doesn't actually solve the problem, right? It doesn't contribute to our well-being, our evolution. Next, focus on the physical world around us. When it gets too overwhelming, consuming all this information, all this news, all this bad news, I find that focusing on our little corners of the world, as in our physical lived experience, really helps. We didn't evolve to be constantly consuming all this information to be so, I think, aware of everything that's going on. And I don't think it's a bad thing. In part, that has created great human progress of our lifetimes that we have seen since the proliferation of technology, computers, the internet, la la la. However, the converse is that we're consuming so much and we're we didn't evolve to consume that and it becomes really overwhelming. So again, going into the physical, what is going on in your physical lived experience? Just be there. Turn off the phone, close the computer, step out of the internet world, which is getting even deeper and worse because of the metaverse, but step out of that because it's already kind of... Uh, um, an internet world like I remember there was one cartoon I watched when I was a kid and it the main character gets lost in the internet it's kind of a you know matrixy sort of episode but I, it made an impact on me because even just engaging in social media right engaging in our lives on our phones and even just that idea of our lives on our phones the more things in our lives that go on to these devices, the less present in our actual physical life we become. So if our communication is on the phone, if our socialization is on the phone, if our dating is on the phone, if our learning is on the phone, what's left in the physical world? We're spending no time in our physical existence, in our little corner of the world, which is our true existence. Our sensory experience is our existence, our awareness of our physical sensory experience and living body is the truth of our existence. We, we do get lost in the internet. We, in, in the context that we tune out of our physical world, of our physical bodies, of our physical sensations, and we go into this digital world. And it's not natural. But we can turn it off whenever we want. And we can tune into those physical sensations, the physical world, our physical bodies right around us. And that's the world that matters most. That's our lives. The internet is not our lives even when we say we create something and share it on the internet that is a creation that is not our lives our physical life who we truly actually are there's a quote from the rubaiyat of omar khayyam be happy for this moment this moment is your life this moment in your physical presence Wherever you currently are, that is your life. So prioritizing presence, that's what gets us here. If we can be present and appreciate the present moment and find the good in it, find those small things, find in whatever way it takes, in whatever readjustments, realigning, resetting our mindset it takes to realize that 
We really have it all, don't we? That's when it gets better. It doesn't mean we don't have aspirations. It doesn't mean we don't have dreams and goals. But we can enjoy the present moment, as we talked about in the video for January's Recalibrate. It's like setting the destination on the GPS. We still know where we're going, but as we drive, because we know where we're going and we know we're going to get to where we're going, we're present. We're enjoying the journey, each stage of the way, each step of the way, each moment, because we're present to it. And it's the little things every day that when we open our eyes, we can see the miracles in them and all around us. The simple fact that the sun continues to rise and set and rise and set, the fact that the earth is in a perfect orbit that allows us to be alive, those are all miracles. Then stay grounded. Figure out what nourishes our balance personally and our groundedness. Understanding interconnection, knowing our place Again, in in that system of harmony and beauty and nature, in the ecosystem of the earth, in the cosmos, the universe, that perspective, that larger perspective, that bird's eye can actually really help when we hold it all together in our lived experience. When we prioritize our, our being grounded, in a way it becomes sacred and I think that that's what we can look at to our early human ancestors is the sacredness that evolves from that awareness I mean the miracle that every at the smallest statistical possibility everything exists the way it does is incredible and it's sacred and I think that That's why our climate is so precious and deserves our attention and respect. It's respecting our interconnection. We want to protect the system that we're a part of, that all makes it happen, makes up into almost this one living entity that is the earth. Physically, moving from our, ourselves out into our local community, engagement and involvement in the community, in, in causes we care about, in communities we align with, and value in spaces, in anything that, that means something to you and nourishes your soul and your well-being and your evolution. I almost missed a huge one, which is shop locally. Choose local stores instead of Amazon. Meryl Streep said something in that conversation I keep referencing that really spoke to me. She was talking in the context of quarantine, but it also touches on the larger issue of our disconnection because of, again, technology, social media. She said, it sort of dismantles your humanity to be isolated like that. She explains that she forgot what she was about, what I am. I'm this thing all put together of little component parts. Speaking about her experience going back to set after quarantine. But again, a lot of us feel, and for me, it shows not only that that's kind of what happens when we engage with these things, This dismantling of self, of wholeness, which if you want to dive into, you can look at our episode on multitudes, again, linked in the description. But it shows me that to feel whole is to reemerge into the physical world, to take these steps that we're talking about in your own way and to go outside of your comfort zone and challenge yourself to make those changes and to try new things, to try a different way of being that supports your well-being more. And even when things feel outside of your control or too big for you to make a difference, as I can often feel about these overwhelming situations, I find that focusing on 
what we can control, which is ourselves, our experience, our actions, our creations, our impact. Engage in in physical community and those physical connections like we were talking about before with presence and meaning, making time for what matters most to you, whether that's family, loved ones, art, music, nature, whatever it may be. Define that. Look at how you use your time. And then say, where's the disconnect? And take action in the direction of your values. Connect with nature. Touch the grass with your bare feet. Touch a tree. Pet some animals. Marvel at the beauty and wisdom and awe-inspiring feet that is nature all around us. The natural world. The world we truly are a part of that we have become separate from, but we can connect to individually at any time we make time for it. On a human note, focus on shared commonalities, our humanity, our dignity, our shared desire for happiness, every human's right to actualize their unlimited potential and contribute their gifts. Everyone wants and deserves to be seen, loved, understood, educated, healthy, so on and so forth. Treat everyone with respect, with the respect that they deserve as a human being. Even if you don't agree with people or their actions, treat animals and trees and nature with respect as another being. It's so easy to divide, especially in this climate that we live in. It's so easy to say us versus them. It's so easy to group ourselves off. But we are part of one human race. We are part of one human family. We are part of one natural family, which is the earth, the interdependence that exists on this planet. And there is so much difference. There is so much diversity within humanity, within other beings, within this earth to celebrate. The foundation of it all is respect, is taking that time to respect everything's inherent worth and value and rights and deservedness. Everything deserves our respect, which includes yourself. When we respect ourselves, we can respect others. When we love ourselves, we can love others. Our ability to show that to someone else is inherently reflective of the uh, capacity that we have within ourselves for ourselves. What I judge and reject someone else for, I am judging and rejecting in myself. It's easier to judge, reject, and push away. It takes more effort to understand. It takes more effort to say, yes, this person did me harm but I'm going to try to understand them because I'm going to take that extra step to acknowledge their humanity, to acknowledge that they have an inner world, they have complexities, they have struggles just like I do. Maybe I don't know them, but I can try to know them. I can ask, I can get curious. And it's when we open ourselves up to curiosity that we allow for our humanity to be shown, to be respected. There's a quote from Marie Curie, nothing in life is to be feared. It is only to be understood. Now is the time to understand more so that we may fear less. That speaks perfectly to what we need understanding. Understanding is love and you can't love without understanding. And peace begins with each of us within. The Dalai Lama reminds us that we can never obtain peace in the outer world until we make peace with ourselves. We so often go around the world projecting our insides on the outer world, our mindset, our perspectives, our biases, our beliefs. But when we allow for openness and understanding 
and we take the time to look at our commonalities, our shared commonalities, which we have more of than meets the eye, that's where we find humanity and understanding. We can understand each other even if we don't agree on certain things. And we need that now more than ever. And again, on that note of shared commonalities, our shared resources, the planet, the environment, taking care of those things that everyone is dependent on and we can all get behind. So lastly, as this title reveals, look up. Look upward, look in the direction of positivity, of optimism. Look around you. Look at the natural world. Look at the clouds. Look at the stars. Look for the good in people. Look for the truth, not just what we're fed in media, social media, school. It doesn't have to be too late to see the truth and act on it. It's never too late. We know media spins things. We know social media is bad for our mental health. We can take action now in our own lives. We can learn from other cultures, other times, other perspectives, other disciplines from each other. We can be curious about the purpose of life and why we're here. We can ask questions. We can look within. And... As Leonardo articulates well in the interview, we can put that pressure on the powers that be by voting for people who will take climate action and take the science seriously. We don't have to be overwhelmed by the current system. We can make it work for us with our vote. We can change the direction that we are going in individually and collectively, and it all comes down to us. The individual has all the power. I know it's so easy, and I can feel it often myself, to feel disempowered and feel overwhelmed. Again, the only thing we can control is ourselves. So self-empowerment is the first way forward. We have to empower ourselves in our own lives to align our actions with our values. As the author Arundhati Roy says, our strategy should be not only to confront empire, but to lay siege to it, to deprive it of its oxygen, to shame it, to mock it with our art, our music, our literature, our stubbornness, our joy, our brilliance, our sheer relentlessness, and our ability to tell our own stories, stories that are different from the ones we're being brainwashed to believe. The corporate system will collapse if we refuse to buy what they are selling, their ideas, their version of history, their wars, their weapons, their notion of inevitability. Remember this, we be many and they be few. They need us more than we need them. Another world is not only possible, she is on her way. On a quiet day, I can hear her breathing. I love that image. That's what this film evokes in its own way. Focus on what the world can be. Then be that in your own way, in your own life. We can come together. We can do great things. And don't let me form your opinion or the reviews for that matter about this movie. If you can and you're curious, go watch it for yourself with an open mind and an open heart and feel how it affects you. And something interesting that I learned is Don't Look Up partnered with Count Us In to take action. So I've linked that in the description as well. It gives you different steps that you can take to take action in regards to the climate crisis. So definitely check that out. (sighs) Thanks for hanging out with me, for chatting. Don't forget to subscribe so you stay in touch with every new episode. And uh, on that note, 
I'm going for a nice, crisp, sunny winter walk in the woods with my dog. Peace, everybody. See you next time.